wrapping up a series we're simply calling I Am the Bridge. But think with me for just a minute. It was maybe in the 80s. Some of you can't remember these days. I remember them well. Uh, but in the 80s, 90s, into the early 2000s, uh, the big deal was 1-900 numbers. Anybody remember 1-900 numbers? People spent millions of dollars paying somebody just to talk to them. And then MySpace came along and changed the world. And then that paved the way to Facebook that opened the door to Twitter and LinkedIn and Snapchat and, and Instagram and WeChat and, you know, and Periscope and Pinterest and, and the scariest of all, TikTok. I don't know if you know about TikTok. If you have kids who do, you better find out about them and you better monitor whether they're using it or not because there ain't no filters on TikTok. I heard one amen. And you may not have a clue what I'm talking about. Find out. Because the kids are there and they're seeing stuff they got no business seeing. They aren't ready to process that information. None of us have any business seeing it, frankly. But all of that stuff, good, bad, or indifferent. I wouldn't even talk about dating sites, eHarmony and Match.com and all that. Our time, that's for the old folks who want to date. You know, I wouldn't even talk about all that. Uh, but all of them have one thing in common. You know what it is? Human beings have a desperate need to connect with one another. The end of the day, we don't like to be alone. Oh yeah, maybe a few minutes here and there. We need a little alone time. But at the end of the day, we all hate to be alone. So we're in a series we're simply calling I Am the Bridge. The church has left the building and, and we're wrapping it up today with, with, with this simple truth that I am the bridge, you are the bridge, we are the bridge. And we're the bridge to what? We're the bridge to a hurting world, desperate for Jesus and perhaps the deepest hurt of all that we've talked about during this series is the feeling of I am alone. God knew that was a deep hurt from the very beginning because uh, you, you study the creation story and day after day after day when God said, man, I, I created light and it's good and I created land and it's good and I uh, created plants and it's good. Day after day he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he created man and he said, it's not good. Not that man isn't good, but he said, it's not good. What does it say in Genesis chapter two, verse 18? It is not good for man to be, say it with me, to be alone. Now here's the good news. When God sees a problem, guess what he does? He gives us a solution. It's one of the things that I love about the Bible. I just, I love when you read the scriptures. If you haven't done this through this lens, uh, lean into the humanity of the people that God used to bring us the word of God the transparency with which they written. They're just honest about who they are and, and yet God used them in powerful kinds of ways. Moses, for example, wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He doesn't hold back on nothing. He didn't hold back on his sins. He killed an Egyptian guard and went and ran and hid for 40 years. He didn't hold back on his frustrations when he's leading the children of Israel in the desert and they were complaining and whining. He'd say, oh God, why'd you give me these people to, to lead? Just kill me now. I can't do this anymore. I mean, he just didn't hold back on nothing. Abraham, his stories are so vividly transparent. God gave him a, a, a promise to be the father of many nations when he was 90 and had no children. And yet, uh, and so, but he accepted that promise and Sarah embraced it. By the time he was 99, he's going, you know, I, I'm not sure I believe what God said. And so he took a second wife and which created all kinds of problems to this day. Middle East tension is because Abraham decided to be stupid for, and take a second wife. Jeremiah was totally transparent 
about my, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I just, you know, but it's a fire shut up in my bones. I have to warn the people the judgment is coming. Solomon wrote very candidly about coming down to the end of his life, having been the most successful man of his day in every way that you can measure. And yet he said, man, I wasted my whole life doing stuff that doesn't eternally matter. I got stuff and I got fame, but it doesn't matter. It's like chasing the wind, he says. David wrote, David wrote out his prayers and sometimes his prayers were praises and sometimes they were, they were dark. I mean, he just was just very transparent about the way he did life. So when it comes to this issue of loneliness that we're talking about today, uh, there are plenty of characters in scripture that we could draw from, we could pull from their story and learn about it. But I think the clearest one <laughs> that gives us both the, the causes of loneliness for us to be uh, watchful of and the cures for loneliness that we need to embrace would be the story of the Apostle Paul late in his life. So let me set it up for you because all I want to do this morning, <coughs> excuse me, is kind of walk through the, this chapter four of Second Timothy. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. You can go to the Bridge NC app and open it up. The notes are there with all the scriptures that I'll be sharing this morning. In fact, you can save it to your journal and take your own notes right there. You can write me this week at info at bridgechurch.cc and Miss Marla will be glad to send you a copy of the very notes that I'm using to teach from. But, uh, but, but, but let's lean into the scriptures for just a moment because Paul lays out for us in chapter four the narrative of coming to that loneliest time in his life, what caused it, and then what he did to get out of it to overcome it. Now, I realize, let me just say up front, we're going to get into it, okay? Uh, I realize I'm talking to two groups of people today. Uh, for some of you, whether you're in the room or you're online, for some of you, loneliness is a reality right now. And, and I want you to lean into this. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to teach you today. I want you to hear. It may actually be painful to face some of the things we're going to talk about today, but I want you to lean into it with me, okay? Because God wants to do a work in your life, and he wants to do a work through your life. So if you're lonely right now, you've come to the right place on the right day. The second group of people is you may not be in a lonely place right now, but I dare say that God has called you to be a bridge to somebody who is. So you can gain a greater understanding of what it means to be lonely and what it means to get out from under that loneliness, at least not let it define your life. So whichever group you're in, then let's lean into the story of Paul, four common causes of loneliness and four uh, biblical God-defined cures for loneliness. Let's get into it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the causes. Just want to make sure you get it so you can be watching for those things. Let's focus our time on the cures, okay? First cause is change. Uh, is life totally stable for you guys? Everything's the same all the time? Nothing ever changes? God bless, no hands, no hands, no hands. It's, it's, that's, that's not the way life is. Life, you know, by the time you get into your comfort zone and get a comfortable routine going, something comes along and throws a kink in the works and it just changes everything. The problem is nobody likes change. I mean, even it's when, when it's our idea, we don't really like it because change always involves in order to hold on to something new, take hold of something new, we got to let go of something that became comfortable. And that loss always brings a sense of loneliness. Let me give some examples. Maybe you'll know what I'm talking about. Graduation. Graduation mean change? 
Sure. And it means all kinds of possibilities, going away to, to college, career, military, whatever you're going to do next. And so it's a wonderful time of celebration, but it also means I'm probably not going to see my high school friends day by day anymore. I may not see, you know, them again. You get a new job. It might mean promotion. It might be status. It might mean pay. It might be better hours. There's lots of reasons for you to take a new job, but it also means letting go of some friends that you had in the old job and, and trying to build friendships with some new coworkers. You move to a new town. I've talked to a family today that's relatively new in the area. We, this happens all the time. Some of you, uh, you know, we're in a mobile society. Maybe it's military or it's job or whatever brought you here. We welcome you to Wayne and Johnston County and to the bridge. We're glad that you're here, but it's hard. You, you got to make new friends and, and meet new neighbors and kids, if you have any, have to get into a new school and meet new people in school. And it's just tough. Coming to a new church can be an incredibly lonely experience because you walk in and you look around and you kind of figure everybody knows everybody here, but I don't know anybody here. And you feel isolated. That's, it's just changes hard, even if you see the positive aspects of it. Well, Paul is facing the biggest change of all because he spent the last several years on the road doing ministry and missions work, and now he's chained to a guard 24-7 waiting for the executioner to come and take his head off. Does that change? That's huge change, isn't it? Look at what he said in 2 Timothy 4-6. The time has come for my departure, and he says, I am ready to be offered. I have finished my course. Now, that's a, there's some celebration language in that, but if you put yourself in Paul's shoes for just a minute, there's a twinge of loneliness in that too, isn't there? But whatever life changes you're going through or will go through, just don't be surprised when there's a twinge of loneliness associated with it. Second uh, cause is isolation. When we find ourselves isolated from the people that we love, one of the hardest parts of this whole pandemic that we're dealing with, and we've had to learn to adjust to all kinds of stuff, but no doubt the, the hardest part for many of you is that you've had loved ones in assisted living environments or, or go to the hospital and you haven't been allowed to go see them or visit them or be with them. Some of you have lost loved ones during this period and, and they had to pass alone. And it's an incredibly lonely time. I remember early in this process when Kim's mom uh, had an event and, and they called the ambulance and, and the EMT said, no, you can't get in the ambulance with her. No, you can't come into the ER with her. You can sit in the parking lot. We'll call you when we know something. That's, and some of you have endured that. You know how incredibly difficult that can be, that isolation can make you feel incredibly lonely. Paul went through that. Chapter 4, verses 9 and 21. Do your best to come to me quickly, he said. Do your best to get here before winter. He goes on to list several friends who used to be with us. He said, Demas hath forsaken me. Crescens went to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. Tychicus I sent to Ephesus. Let me say a couple of things before we move on. First of all, how many of you are glad that you didn't have to be the one to stand here with a microphone and pronounce all those words? Anybody? God bless that. And I see that hand. Yes, right, right. Now, all right, here's another one. How many of you are glad your parents didn't stick you with one of those names? You're just kind of glad that that didn't just me. Third thing I'll say is it's pretty obvious to me that Paul is feeling isolated. Those people that he traveled with and did life with and ministry with are not with him now, and he's feeling isolated and alone. He says, bring Mark. Be sure to bring Mark because he was such a blessing 
to me. Paul loved to have people around him. He was always mentoring somebody, Timothy and Titus and, and so many others. And now he's in prison, separated from the people that he knew and loved. By the way, let me just throw this in, in terms of isolation. You don't, you don't have to be alone to feel lonely, do you? No. As cool as the bridge is, as amazing as this place is, it can be one of the loneliest places on the planet. I remember when Kim and I moved back to Goldsboro almost five years ago now, I guess it was five years ago in September. Uh, now, and there was no doubt in our minds, we're, we're going to the bridge. That's where we're going to worship. I was uh, leading a church planning organization at the time and traveling a lot. And I said, you know, that's going to be our home base. We loved this church for years and years and years. And we couldn't wait to get here and be a part of this church family. But those first few weeks were incredibly difficult. We'd walk in and, and have a great warm welcome and great worship time and and the word from Pastor Farrell was our pastor at the time. And, and we all were just feeling incredibly blessed. But then I would leave and, and I'd see groups of people chatting and talking and fellowshipping. And I'm going, how do you, how do you break into those kind of circles? And, and so it's an incredibly lonely feeling. And, and I'm not a particularly shy guy. So for some of you introverts, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Can I get an amen in the room? Yeah, it can be tough. Marriage can be lonely. When you're laying in the bed beside the one that you're married to and communication is broken down and you lay there in the dark wondering what the other one's thinking, it can be incredibly lonely. Isolation creates that. The third cause is criticism. Feeling like you've been under attack by somebody can create a whole sense of loneliness. Paul had to endure that one too. In verse 14 of chapter 4, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. He strongly opposed our message. Now, we don't have a lot of detail about what Alexander the metal worker did, but I assume since he was a metal worker, he probably made statues and idols that people worshiped. That's how he made his living. And now Paul's coming in and telling people about Jesus and they're getting saved and they don't want idols anymore. And so now he's really upset because Paul's taking his business away. So he slanders Paul or uses his influence against him, something or whatever it is. Doesn't really matter what it is. When somebody opposes you, it feels lonely to be attacked, even if you're in the right. Some of you know those feelings too. Maybe it was the bully on the playground in the in elementary school, or maybe you're in high school and, and you know, you got the in crowd and the out crowd and, and everybody wants to be in the in crowd, but nobody wants to be in the out crowd, but the in crowd never lets the out crowd in. And, and it's just incredibly difficult office. You may be in a work situation where there are cliques within your office and, 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 and gossip starts to form and people start taking sides and, and you feel uh, isolated and even attacked for things you didn't even do. It can be incredibly difficult. Whatever the attack, um, I, th that idea of being attacked is incredibly difficult. Now, here's what I need you to hear me say. The temptation becomes profound, whatever the cause, when we feel lonely, to start putting protective walls up around us, particularly when we feel criticized or attacked. We want to protect ourselves because it hurts. What you need to understand is those walls are not discriminating. They don't just shut out the people that are attacking you. They shut out the people who want to help. So when that temptation comes, you need to resist that temptation. So whether it is change or isolation or criticism or the fourth cause that Paul dealt with, rejection, 
when you feel like you've been abandoned by people that you thought you could count on and you couldn't count on them after all. It, it, it brings a whole sense of loneliness. Paul knew that one too. Verse 16, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Truth be known, there are probably hundreds of people uh, here and thousands of people online, um, many of whom are listening right now. And quite honestly, it's all you can do to sit through this message. Because I just hit three out of four that you're dealing with right now. It's incredibly hard. You thought you could count on those people and, and they let you down and they walked out when you needed them to walk in and it, and it hurt and I just need to stop and say, if that's how you're feeling right now, I'm so very deeply sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. Regardless of whether it was a spouse or a parent or a coworker or a friend or a church or me, whoever did that to you, whoever you feel like rejected you, I'm deeply sorry that you feel that way that that happened to you, here's what I want you to hear me say. People will fail you, but God will never fail you. God knows what you're going through and he cares about what you're going through and he will never walk out on you. I know it's scary to let anybody close enough to reject you again. And so again, we tend to build up these walls, but you need to understand we were created with the need to be accepted. We were created with a need to be in relationship. And when you don't get it, the pain comes. So we try to pretend that it doesn't exist, but it still comes. But I got to move on. Whether your cause of loneliness is change or isolation or criticism or rejection or some other cause that Paul didn't experience or I haven't mentioned today, the bottom line is if you don't learn to deal with it, God's way, let me say that again, if you don't learn to deal with it God's way, lean in, I'll just whisper this. It only gets worse. You see, the solution to this problem is not natural, it's supernatural. The, in fact, the natural solutions make it wassa, not better. Say it with me, wassa, not better. Well, come on, you can do that. Wassa, not better. Yeah, I knew you could do it. I had a lot of confidence in you. But the cure doesn't come naturally, guys. Those natural cures make it worse. And so in some cases, it's workaholism. I'm just going to throw myself into my work and I'm going to say, stay so busy, I won't have to think about it. Or, or it's materialism. If I get enough stuff to prop my self-esteem up, I, I, you know, maybe that'll buy me some peace. Maybe it's anti-materialism and, and you reject everything material and you dress to make an unfashioned statement and you wear your hair weird so people will not bother you. I mean, maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's, you know, any experience to keep me busy, keep me occupied, keep my mind going. We all know people that life became just a series of one night stands or from fix to fix or escape to escape. Or there's the anti-pleasure movement that is so common, quite honestly, among teenagers these days where they're, they're cutting themselves. 
because that physical pain somehow distracts from the emotional and spiritual pain that they feel. And you can't wrap your brain around it. Why would anybody do that? It's because they're hurting. They're lonely. They feel some of those causes, or it's the where we started this whole conversation this morning. It's the, it's the pseudo friends, the sense that I have a lot of friends because I posted something and I got a lot of likes. Oh boy, look, I got a hundred likes on that one. I got a thousand likes on that one. Boy, that's really good. I'm really special. Or worse, it's escaping into the porn world fantasizing about relationships you'll never have because you can't deal with the real ones. And, and don't think for a minute that Christians are immune from this, this stuff either. We, uh, I've seen Christians through the years and I've guarded my heart against going there myself. It, it, we start feeling lonely and we cloak ourselves in hyper-spirituality. Start using spiritual platitudes and jargon to kind of never really engage on an intimate level. Or, or, or we work at church, we serve people so we won't have to deal with how we, we feel. Whatever the defense mechanism is, guys, the end result's the same. It's a depressive cycle that takes us further and further and further down until you build a shell to protect ourselves that becomes a buffer zone of invisible space and we don't even realize it, that in the process, we're shutting out the very people who would like to help. I've got a book in my library called, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. We get into those kind of dynamics if we try to find a natural solution to our loneliness. So what's the Bible say? What's the God solution? I'm so glad you asked. I see two do's and two don'ts. In Paul's words, this simple story unpacks four things that we can do. I call them the do's and don'ts of breaking free from loneliness. Number one is do use your time wisely. Do use your time wisely. In other words, make the best of a bad situation. You may be in the midst of one of the things that we talked about, and there's every reason for you to feel lonely in this moment, but resist the temptation to shut down and do nothing. That's what Paul did. Look at, at verse 13. Bring my coat and bring my books, especially the parchments. Let's be honest. None of us would have blamed him if he had said, you know, I've given 30 years of my life and this is the reward that I get. I've served and served and served and this is all I get. Instead, he said, I'm not happy about this, but I'm going to make the best of this. So he says, bring me my coat. I mean, at least I'll be warm on these cold nights. You understand the first thing that we do sometimes when we get into these lonely kind of deals is we stop taking care of ourselves. We don't get adequate rest or good rest. We don't exercise. We don't eat right. We, we, we comfort food, stuff ourselves. That's what human beings tend to do. He said, no, I'm going to take care of myself. Bring my coats and take care of myself. Or, and then he says, bring me my books. Quite often we shut down. We stop learning. We stop growing. Paul said, I'm not going to stop. No, bring me my books. I want to read. I want to learn. I want to grow. And then finally, he says, especially the parchments. And I love that because the parchments was their version of stationary. Paul said, if I can't be with my friends, I'm going to write letters to my friends. 
I'm going to stay busy doing something productive. Anybody glad Paul wrote some letters to his friends? Anybody know the names of the letters that he wrote to his friends? He had put titles on them called things like Romans and First and Second Thessalonians and, and Galatians and Ephesians and First and Second Corinthians and in Colossians and First and Second Timothy that we're reading right now and Titus and Philemon and and the Philippines. No, that's Philippians. You know where he says, "Rejoice no matter what the circumstance of your life." Understand those letters serve two purposes. First of all, they helped him deal with his loneliness. And second, here we are a couple thousand years later learning how to deal with ours. So the first cure to loneliness is make sure that you're doing something productive with your time, which raises the question, we'll move on. Who is benefiting from the way you're dealing with your loneliness? What's something that you can do now while you're more alone than you like to be that you couldn't do if there were a lot of people around you? Take that to heart and ask yourself some questions. What am I going to do that would supernaturally bring me out of the spirit of loneliness? I don't want to make this conversation about me, but I'll give you a, a quick example. Many of you know, uh, um, Sorry. We're coming up on the third anniversary of our oldest son's journey to heaven. And so it's a tough season for Kim and I. What makes it hardest is that she's still spending at least half her time taking care of our grandkids. She's watching online this morning. Love you, darling. Um, love the kids. But that leaves me alone a lot. So what am I doing? I got two books in the works. I'm turning sermon series into books and I'm gonna try to get them out there. Will they have the same impact as Paul's letters? No, because the Bible is sealed. But if I can just write them, guess what? They might be helpful to me and hopefully helpful to you too. So I'm converting the third person series we just finished into a book, getting to know the Holy Spirit and then I started one three years ago called Seasons that I was in the midst of when Andrew died. And I'm, I've picked it back up. Why? Because I understand part of the cure for overcoming loneliness is to do something productive with your time. Paul said, I'm in a jail cell. I'd rather be out there doing ministry, but I'm going to take some action here now during this time. Use your time wisely. The second, the first don't then is don't allow bitterness to set in. It's a huge mistake to put on a happy face and pretend everything is going fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. When all the while you're rehearsing in your mind, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. I'm the loneliest man on the planet. If anybody cared about me, they would fix it. Hear me. Secrets held long enough in private become so powerful that they consume you. Now, I'm not suggesting you walk around everybody you meet, say, well, I, how you doing? Well, I'm so lonely, I can't stand it. I'm not suggesting that. But you find some people that you have confidence in, that you have trust in, who, who are the bridge to you. And be honest 
Otherwise, you're building a wall and you're saying, stay away. I, I love what Paul said in verse 16. Everyone has deserted me. You, you can feel the twinge of loneliness there. Everybody's deserted me. But then he, what does he say next? What does it say? Read it with me. One, two, three, go. May it not be held against them. He said, I will not allow the fact that everybody's deserted me to make me bitter. When the time came for him to go on trial before King Agrippa, nobody stepped up to defend this man. Not one. Nobody said, oh, he's a good guy. He really helped me. Not the, not the woman uh, at Philippi who, who was demon-possessed and Paul cast the demon out of her. Not the jailer who, who he rescued from killing himself and ultimately helped him to find Christ and his whole family came to know Jesus. Not the thousands of people that came to Christ in the churches that he planted across Asia Minor. Nobody. But his attitude was not those jerks after all I've done for them. <laughs> It was, Lord, don't hold it against them. I will not let this pain that I'm experiencing eat me alive. I will not let it isolate me. I choose to be a forgiver. I choose to be a forgiver. You don't have to say it out loud, but say it. I choose to be a forgiver. So do use your time wisely. Don't allow bitterness to set in. Third, do get close to the Lord. Paul was feeling the loneliness of other people deserting him, but he was able to overcome it because he also knew, verse 17, first part, the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. He knew he wasn't actually alone, because when he came into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence with him and he was never alone from that moment on. And he understood that Jesus is with him. The Bible is clear. When you establish a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're never alone again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, the psalmist David said. Jesus told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So instead of sitting around wondering, where's God? Why, God, why are you allowing this? Where's the people that ought to be here? Get in his word. Pray. Worship. Praise whether you feel like it or not. Do I need to say that again? Praise whether you feel like it or not. I read Jesus' quotation of Isaiah 61 last week. Let's read the original prophecy, or at least part of it, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted, to give a, here's the part I wanted to focus on, to give a, read it with me out loud, one, two, three, go, to give a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's a that's a clever little line that you've probably heard in songs and various places. But I have to be honest with you, as many times as I'd read that over the years, that experience came home for me one time, actually in a small group. It was one of those nights, it's time for small group, and, and Kim and I were hosting it that night, and, and I didn't, really didn't feel like it. It had been a tough day, a long day, and I was tired, and, and I really didn't want to go to small group, much less host it. And I'm thinking, oh God, I just... 
oh, I got so much on my mind and I'm just physically tired and boy, I wish it was not group night. And, and then the people started coming in and, and started chatting and talking and, you know, we had a cup of coffee together and then we put on some music and, you know, just somebody pressed play on the CD player, you know, and, um, and before you know what, I found myself praising the Lord and forgetting all about the heaviness that I felt a few minutes ago. Something happens when you put on the garment of praise. You understand, we're talking about we're putting on an outer garment. We're not waiting for the inside to catch up. We're putting the garment of praise on. But what happens is it tends to relieve that spirit of heaviness. Guys, God is on call 24 hours a day. You praise him during this time of loneliness. Thank him in advance for bringing you out of it. And you will be amazed by how the inside feelings begin to change. What do you do when you're struggling with loneliness? You do use your time wisely. You don't allow bitterness to set in. You do get close to the Lord. And then bottom line, don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on yourself. Say it with me. Don't focus on yourself. You know who the loneliest man in the world is? Who said the Maytag man? No, that's... <laughs> the loneliest man in the world is a man who wrapped himself up in himself. The loneliest woman in the world who is self-centered and self-consumed because they're doomed to be plagued with loneliness their whole life. God wired us to give our lives away, to, to give to others, to help others, to make a difference. And so if you're struggling with loneliness right now, or you're trying to be a bridge to somebody who's struggling with loneliness right now, instead of saying, I don't have any friends, the secret is to stop focusing on what you don't have and become a bridge. If you need a friend, Be a friend and watch what God does. The Apostle Paul gave himself away and he explained why in this same passage. Second part of verse 17, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all Gentiles might hear it. Do you hear what Paul's saying? He's just rehearsed this whole list of, of the reasons why he feels so incredibly lonely right now and the solutions to that problem that's going to help him to overcome. But at the end of the day, he said, all of this stuff is so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles to whom he felt specifically called would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, my life is not centered in how I feel. My life is centered in God's purpose for putting me on this planet. And that purpose is to be a bridge. Might be a bridge to racial relations. It might be a bridge to the fatherless. It might be a bridge to the poor. It might be a bridge to the lonely. It might be a bridge to a group we haven't even talked about, but God's called me to get outside of myself and be a bridge to hurting people around me. Hear me, guys. I'm going to close. When you take God's approach to this thing, you will discover that at the end of the day, the key to overcoming loneliness is to stop building walls and start 
building bridges. Let me say that again. The key at the end of the day is stop building walls and start building bridges. Say it with me. I want you to get this in your head and in your heart. The key is to stop building walls and start building bridges. But Pastor Jim, you don't know how bad my heart hurts. I, I know. And I don't mean to be insensitive to the feelings or the pain, but I want you to know that God does. And I want you to know that God wants you to believe that nobody cares or that nobody needs your love. God says, I put you on this planet for a purpose. I care about every detail in your life. I love you. I have a plan for you. And all of this, my plan involves you are giving the love I've given you away. That's the plan. And in so doing, we rise above the spirit of heaviness, the loneliness though easily besets our humanity. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for knowing every detail of our lives and particularly when we're hurting, particularly when we're feeling alone and isolated, whatever the cause. Thank you for knowing us and loving us and being there for us uh, and with us. Thank you. Now, would you speak to us in the way that only you can? Because you, you know the details that nobody else knows. Sometimes you know the details that we haven't faced ourselves. You know that at the end of the day, the solution to our loneliness is that we let you fill the God-shaped void in our hearts. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'd be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to pray a simple prayer with me today. Whether you're in the room or you're online, simple prayer that says, God, I, I want to rise above this and I want to be available to you to help others rise above it. And I know the beginning is to stop expecting people to fill the void that only you can fill. So would you pray a simple prayer with me, Jesus? I open my heart to you. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a fresh start today as I commit to making you the center of my life and my life's choices. Then even as I ask you to help me rise above loneliness, use me to help others do the same. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what's going on in their hearts. Give them the assurance that you've heard them. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I really want to know if it's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like that, then you can text me 
Just text the word new life to 55498. If you've prayed those kind of prayers before, then on your digital connect card, if you haven't filled it out yet, go, go to the Bridge NC app or, or go to the link that's in the comment box. If you're watching online, click that and let me know you've prayed that prayer. I want to pray with you this week. Our staff takes these prayer requests very seriously. If you have other prayer requests, please share them on those connect cards because we pray for you and with you throughout the week. We want to go together on this journey of not only rising above loneliness, but helping others to do the same.